Good morning. Um, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 12, and we'll go through verse 21. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large, large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say to him, one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would, be, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Lord God, we just thank you so much, Lord God, that we can gather together, Lord God, and just worship you and spend time with you, Lord God, as a, a body, Lord God. I pray that we, that we know what it is, Lord God, to walk in the, the unity of the Spirit, Lord God, unified as, a body, as the body of Christ, edifying one another, building one another up, Lord God, not tearing down. Father, as you've called us to this, Lord God, as you've, you've given us the Spirit, Lord God, and through him, Lord God, the power works, Father, in us to be able to build others up, Lord God. Within ourselves, we cannot do that. Apart from you, Lord Jesus, as you said in um, John 15, when you said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God, that is a reality, and that is true, Lord God. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing, Lord God. All of it is, is, is temporary and passing away, Lord God. But Jesus Christ, your kingdom, Lord God, is eternal forever, Lord God. And I pray that we seek your kingdom, Lord God, with our whole heart, Lord God. Because this, this time that we have on this earth, it is passing away, Lord God. Um, and we need you more than ever, Lord God, each and every day, Lord God, as we see that you are our strength, you are our hope, you are our life, you are our salvation. Lord God, as I was reading, Lord God, in Revelation, Lord God, it is amazing. It is amazing just reading through Revelation, Lord God, at the end. It says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. It says, Lord God, it says, and let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Yeah. Lord God, Lord Jesus, you have offered yourself. You've said, here I am. It is your choice. Will you take me freely? Because you are the water of life. You are that water that cleanses. You are that water that heals. You are the one that ultimately sets us free from all the bondage, from all of the chains that hold us and, and hold us captive, Lord God. We praise you, God, and we thank you that you are mighty and you are awesome, Lord God. There is nothing that is too impossible for you. You are able to conquer. You are able to overcome no matter what it is, Lord God. You know every person here. 
You know everything that is going on in their lives, Lord God. Today, you know the hurts, you know the trials, you know the pains, you know everything, Lord God. And you're saying, come, come take of the water of life freely. Come and take of it right now and drink. Lord God, we pray that with, the heart, with our hearts, with the intensity and the passion and desire within us, Lord God, that you have put there for us, Lord God. We have passion and we have desire. And I pray that it will be focused on you, Lord God. That, Father, that we are the body of Christ, Lord God. That we are set apart, Lord God, unto you as holy and acceptable only through the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. That is in Jesus Christ, Lord God. As our, our righteousness is as filthy rags as Isaiah says, Lord God. But you, Lord Jesus, are the righteous one. You are holy and you are just. Lord God, and one day you are coming back. And Lord God, we look forward to that day when we will be glorified and set, Lord God, and be with you forever. But until that day, Lord God, we must work and do the will of the Father just as Jesus Christ did. That we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that that desire within us will burn, Lord God, that each one of us, you have given each one of us gifts. Lord God, I pray that we do not waste these, but we use them to the glory of God, that we exist for the glory of God, Lord God, that our lives do not are not a waste, Lord God. We are not here for no purpose, but Lord God, we are here to glorify you, Father. And I pray that those who do not know you here today, Lord God, will realize and understand that their lives have meaning, that you desire to know them. You desire that they know you with all of their heart, Lord God, that forever they will know that they are yours and they, Lord God, will be with you forever. God, we glorify you. We give this time to you, Lord God, that you, through your word, we thank you for the power of your word. It is as living and active, Lord God, and that, Lord God, that you will just open our eyes and our ears to see what the Spirit is saying through the word of God, Lord God, as you have something for someone here today, Lord God, and I pray that they will walk away changed. Father, only through the power of Jesus Christ. That is what changes. And nothing else can change but the power of Jesus Christ. Father, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So... Today we look at the betrayal. It's funny because a lot of times we look at uh, at this event. Uh, you know, I just can't help. I can't look, help looking at it and considering current events a little bit. You know, the, the deal in San Bernardino, Inland Regional Center, that was close to home for me. Two kids I had in youth group or that were associated with youth group were in it not in the room where they're shooting but at the place where it all happened so it's a little dicey my brother works about a mile from there and uh, I, I was I was challenged with a question because I, I guess I, I'm probably like most red blooded American males I think so after it happens, it's so much easier for me to think about killing someone than it is for me to think about sharing the gospel. Why is that? You know, we, we, have, uh, we have kind of a unique nature. And I think that's one of the things that this section of scripture brings out. For us, because a lot of times you and me, we all 
are really good at seeing what's wrong with somebody else. We're not so good about seeing what's wrong in the mirror. And hearing what, what God is calling us to or laying out for us. As this day begins, this is the, the final evening. Jesus is going to be arrested in a matter of a couple hours. And the disciples come to him. I can't believe I did that again. My glasses. Got to wear these dumb things. I think a blind guy could remember his glasses, wouldn't you? The problem is I'm going senile at the same time. So. How do I look? It, it only gets better, just so you know. Okay, here's how he begins. Look what he says. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples came to him. Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Now, every time we come to stuff like this, you know, this is where people, they, they, they want to trip out a lot of times on details and how details work. And a lot of times the struggle with details is that we run on a solar calendar, right? So when does the day begin for us? Sun up. So when's the day end? Okay, so sun up to sundown. That's the day for us. Now you've got to do it backwards for a Jew. In other words, sundown was the beginning of the day. The, their day started opposite from, from us. Sundown, that was the mark. From sundown, that's where it would go. So when he says, on the day when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, I just want you to realize they're having this meal prior to the lambs being slain because it started at 6 p.m. the night before. Are you with me? The next day for us is 14 Nisan, Passover, when the lambs would be slain. Somebody else is going to be slain that day too, right? But the night before, still 14 Nisan, Jesus is bringing his disciples together to have a final supper. There's no for sure guarantee that what they were having was Passover. It's possible. But it, there's no mention of a lamb. There's no mention of what the meal is at all. All that's mentioned in all the Gospels is the things Jesus told his disciples like it was his last meal that he was going to have with them. And so he tells them, they, say, they come to him and say, Lord, where are we going to do this? It's going to be on the 14th of Nisan. And Jesus, I love how Jesus does this because he says, well, what I want you to do, go in town and look for a guy carrying a water pot. Now, that would have been different. There was not too many guys carrying water pots. Unfortunately, ladies, don't get upset. Oh, you're amazing. I'll be able to see. There are not too many. Guys don't carry water pots. That was women's work. Sorry. When we're at Israel, and we're standing over the well, and ladies, you see that there are two sets of stairs that go down this well. Around the well, one way. And up the well, another. And you look at the, I don't know, hundred and some steps down. Don't fall. And a hundred and some steps up with a big old water pot on your head. You would think, I, I ain't doing that. Fella ought to do that one. But that's not how they were. That's not how their society ran. So Jesus said, you're going to see a guy. A guy on a water pot. Weird. 
In their day, they wouldn't have saw it. So he said, look for this guy. And look what it says. He says, uh, and, and wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house. So what's, what's that mean? That means the fellow carrying the water is a slave. So he just says, when you see a guy carrying water, follow him. And when he walks into a house, you go into the house too. And then say to the master of the house. This is the question you have for the master of the house. The teacher says... Where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? That phrase, the guest room, is probably better translated, where is my room? So Jesus obviously had met with this guy, talked about it, worked out the details. So he would have a room. And so he sends two disciples. The Gospel of John tells us, Peter and John, they go find this guy. They go set up the upper room and they get everything ready. Get everything ready for the meal when the twelve come. And it says... So his disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had said to them. So they prepared the Passover. They prepared the meal. And then in verse 17 it says, In the evening he came with the twelve. Now the twelve doesn't mean there's only twelve, right? The twelve is the indication of a group. What's the group he's with? His disciples. His disciples. It's like uh, very similar to the way uh, in the Old Testament they describe the children of Israel as the twelve tribes. How many tribes are there? There are more than 12, folks. There's more. Well, you, I suppose you can count as many as you want. <laughs> but you have Joseph is divided into two between Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, so at least you have 13. Some could argue for 14. But when God talks to him, what's he call them? 12 tribes. Not so that we can rattle our brains to try to figure out how to make 13 or 14 into 12. But so that we would realize, who's he talking about? The, the 12 tribes. He always lists them. When he lists them, he lists 12 tribes. He's talking about all of Israel. Don't get too wrapped around the axle over little things. Otherwise, when the big things come, oof, my goodness. So, the 12 disciples. I think he's probably got quite a few other people with him. I can't prove it. And it doesn't really matter. But I think there's a lot of people there at this time. They sit around the table and they prepare to have this meal. And then Jesus does something kind of uh, interesting. Look what he says next. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Why did he do it that way? I mean in the Old Testament we look at David. You guys all remember King David, right? In, in his most world famous sin. He sinned with Bathsheba. God sent a prophet to David to tell David a story. And when it came to the appropriate time in the story, what was it that Nathan said to David? You are the man. God's never been shy about pointing out the guy who's wrong. Why? When it comes to the betrayal, does God just lay it out there? One of you is going to betray me. Why didn't he point him out? And I think the, the answer is in the response. Because I think what God is laying out for us is something, uh, it's a doctrine called the universality of sin. And most of us would acknowledge, if I explain it to you, most of us would say, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Universality of sin. We're all sinners. Everybody agree? Amen. So, we all agree with it. At least Verbally. But when the rubber is on the road, I'm not sure we do. 
When we look at the response of these guys, considering the the universality of sin, what is it that every one of the disciples does? Is it me? No, it couldn't be me. Surely it's not me, Lord. All of them did, right? Only one of them knew that one of them wasn't wondering if it was them, right? We read about it earlier, uh, just a few verses earlier, that, that Judas had already made up his mind, gone to the chief priest, said that he would betray Christ as soon as he got an opportunity to do so. So he knows he's going to betray him. But the rest of them, they don't know. They don't understand. And I think sometimes when we look at mankind, and I think sometimes when we look at events and situations that take place, we think that we can draw the line between good and evil somewhere. Maybe we think it's at a border, a certain border. We go to a certain border, we can draw a line. Everybody on that side of the border is evil. Everybody on that side of the border is good. But the, real, the reality is that line that we want to draw goes right down the center of the human heart. What am I saying? Judas is in all of us. And it was in every one of those disciples. But so is Mary. Remember last week? Mary giving the extravagant worship to God. We know that Judas was really frustrated with it, right? We have this delineation, I think, in our lives. And here's why I think the the disciples respond in the way they do. The way that the disciples respond when when they ask, Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? That what that tells me is Jesus did it so that they would have to look inside themselves. And every time we come to this scripture, that's what God wants me to do. Look inside me. He wants me to look inside me. Because really, if I believe the doctrine of the universality of sin, that we're all broken, we're all sinners, and we all need a Savior... If I believe that, then there should be at least a couple of things in my life that that I'm able to comprehend and understand. So as the disciples look in, in verse 19, as they say, And they began to be sorrowful and say to him, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Jeremiah 17, verse 9, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And it ends with this question, who can know it? The point of that question given by Jeremiah is, we struggle with knowing our own heart. But then in verse 10, God responds. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of of his doing. We all have Judas and Mary in us. I want you to see this last supper is placed between two premium events. One, the betrayal of Judas and the and the proclamation here that one's going to betray him and two, the defection of all the disciples. Now, which one of them did a bang up job? Was there any of those disciples that should have held a parade for how well they handled the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. Poof. Peter, 
is going to follow the same road that Judas followed. Only rather than making suicide his Savior, he's going to choose to make Jesus Christ his Savior. But that's the only difference. The denial is, is no less from the lips of Peter than the denial in the actions of Judas. And I think part of what Jesus is orchestrating here as he lays it out like this and lets the disciples deal with it is a, is a if you will, call to Judas. A call to the disciples to search their hearts and a call to Judas. Look, Judas is going to do what he's going to do. But, but I think the Lord's fighting for his soul. Judas could do what he's going to do and at the end... Fall down, repent, and call upon the name of the Lord, and God would have saved him. But he doesn't do that. And I think Jesus is reaching out for that purpose. But the struggle between Judas and Mary in our life. Do we believe in the universality of sin? Let's see. Two things. If we did, if we understand everybody's a sinner... Everybody's a sinner. We're all sinners saved by grace. If we truly believe in that, two things would come a little easier. One, forgiveness. Giving it to someone else. If we struggle with forgiveness, we're struggling with the universality of sin. If we have an accurate depiction of who we are, if we know who we are as a person, being forgiving... It's not so much trouble. Sometimes we look at somebody who's told a lie. We say, they're just a liar. Dirty, no good liar. They, all they do is lie. They can't tell the truth. Every time I look at them, they're telling a lie. We, we take, make a little meme. We got their picture and across the front of it, liar is painted. But when we tell a lie, well, you know, it was just a circumstance I was in and just a little lie. I, really, I was trying to spare somebody their feelings. I was, I was you know, what, that wasn't what was in my heart. What does that mean? That means that you really don't believe in the doctrine of the universality of sin. Because their sin's the same as yours. All of us separated from God. Man, woman, and child. All of us needing a Savior, needing Jesus Christ to move in our lives. Miroslav Volf, in his book, Spacious Heart, says this, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Just think about that for a minute. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy... From the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. As, as God was laying this, this idea out for me, you know, it was, uh, it's funny how, you know, sometimes when you're studying, you're preparing for a message, you know, I think God orchestrates it all for what he's got going on. And I... I look at the news and I and I see the pictures of these people that did this horrible thing in San Bernardino and I am filled with hate for them. 
just don't taste good on my tongue. I'm not trying to say, I don't know, I'm not trying to say anything really. I'm just trying to say, that shouldn't be in there. Yeah, what they've done is wrong. What, what will stop that? Man, the, the only answer for our world, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel. We, we, myself included, I, I start, especially this time of year, you got an election coming up, right? A lot of stuff going on. I get into it. I watch the debates. I, I look at the candidates. I, I vote the Bible. So I set a candidate next to the Bible. He don't match up to the Bible. I don't vote for him. I don't care how popular he is. Um, Trump will never get a vote from me. Sorry. You know, y'all do whatever you want, but... But he's, he does not align himself with Jesus Christ. And I'm not looking for another king. I already have a king. And if I can find somebody who serves that king, who also can help our nation, maybe we can get ourselves headed in the right direction. But I don't need a king. I don't need another Messiah. I already got one. <laughs> but what I, what I desperately need is us to live me to live the life God's asking me to live. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do with my wrath. I'm not happy about it. I'm, I get angry. I get angry looking at somebody who, who six months earlier had a baby shower with the same people they shot and killed. How do you do that? I'll tell you, but you're not going to like the answer. Because they're a sinner just like you. Because they're broke, just like you and me. And they need the one who can repair the brokenness. That's what they need. And we can run ourselves out of bullets, shooting them and putting them in the ground. But there will be another one right behind them. It's the gospel that changes. So... If I truly believe that concept, universality of sin, we're all part of the human uh, uh, nature. We all have one, right? And we're all a mess. And we all have weirdness in our head. And I got murder in my heart just like they had murder in their heart. And even though I don't understand how they can do it, you know what? I know because we share the same brokenness, you can do things you don't think you're capable of doing. It's crazy. Never count on the righteousness of man for anything. <laughs> but we can count on the righteousness of God. The, the second thing, listen, the second thing. First thing we see, if we, don't, if we don't hold to the universality of sin, we have a hard time forgiving others. Okay, that's, that's the first clue. I got an issue. Second clue, we start to hate groups of people. Man, I do that. The first time Sammy Tanago came here and talked about um, Muslims and, and sharing the gospel with Muslims, I was like, all I ever wanted to really share with them, I was a Marine, all I wanted to share with them was a bullet. <laughs> I'm just being honest. And that was in my heart. Now, you know, I, I pretty it up. And I, and I just leave it buried. My, my, uh, my uh, I don't know what you call it, but my... Sin. I just put that away. I just, oh, what's a big deal? I mean, really, they're evil. They're evil. I'm not evil. They're evil. Wait a minute. I'm evil too. 
The Bible doesn't say only certain people's heart is deceitfully wicked, does it? It says nobody can know their heart, right? Who can know that heart? What does God say? I know it. And what does he do? I test your heart and your mind. And so when he came, when Sammy came and he shared, you know, he opened my eyes to my prejudice in my heart. I had to deal with it. I got to do something with it. Now, I know we don't all agree, and I'm not pretending that we have to. I know we don't all agree on the, on the way to do it and how to do it and how it should look and, and all the parts of it. All I know is, is Jesus needs to be exalted. Men need to be called to repentance and faith. That has to happen. But here's what we do sometimes. We spend a lot of time arguing about, well, I like how that guy's doing it, but I, but I like how that guy's doing it, right? I think I'd rather do it that way. And all the while, I'm not doing anything. I become quality control for other people reaching folks with the gospel. Yeah, he's really doing something there. But that guy over there, I don't know if he's doing as good. And all the while, God's saying, Jackie, stop looking at them. Get up. Man, I've been praying. Me and Jason have been praying for uh, an outreach over at the mosque. And I'm hoping we got one maybe brewing. So I'm hoping that, that that's going to work out. And you might say, don't do that, that's dumb. Or you might say, well, if you do it, you should do it this way. And all I'm going to say to you is, if you want to give me a critique, show up. But if you're not going to be there, then pray. But I, what I want is to be able, at the end of the day, say, I tried to do something. I tried to share the truth of your gospel. If I start hating groups and blocking off groups and looking at groups as though they're unsavable, they're not worthy, or they're, they're, they're they, you know, and I'm not saying be crazy, or, well, maybe I am. If God tells you to be crazy, knock yourself out, but... Otherwise, he give you a mind, be prudent, be intelligent, try to think about what you're doing. But we want to do something positive. We've been praying about doing a red door ministry. Maybe you won't like the red door ministry. For me, I'm challenged by the red door ministry. The red door ministry stays outside of Planned Parenthood with a sign that says, Please don't murder your baby. I will help. Now, maybe you think that's too harsh. Maybe you think that's not harsh enough. But when we're standing out in front of Planned Parenthood that way, if you want to critique, show up. All I know is a, is a ministry that I am aware of, doing that simply, has saved 40 babies. 40 babies. And I, as I was listening to him, I was thinking, I don't think I'd do it that way. And he challenged me, just talking to a guy on the radio, he wasn't talking to me, it was a radio show with a guy and he says you know I get a lot of people criticize me but basically I just say if you got a better way call me and tell me how to do it but otherwise shut up <laughs> babies are dying ain't they every day man and we just pretend it's not going on what's happening so is there something wrong or, or different about that woman going into that place than me? Absolutely not. No difference between us. No difference. Both broken. Both need to be called to repentance. Both need to be called to faith. 
So if we understand the universality of sin, then we understand why Jesus did it this way. Why he said, one of you who eats with me is going to betray me. Now later on, the Gospel of John tells us, John leans back and he asks Jesus, who's going, to, who's going to betray you? And Jesus says to John, the one who dips his bread with me. And he dips his bread in the cup and Judas does the same thing. And then immediately, Jesus says to Judas, Judas, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. The rest of this, from verse 22 on, Judas isn't there no more. He's out betraying him. He made his choice. And he's doing his thing. But all the disciples, guys, all of them, are looking at themselves and saying, it could be me. It could be me. Do we do that? Do we think, this could be me. I, I, could, I could be deceived to the point that I would do something like that. Or we think there's something especially evil. I think it's just generic, folks. Homegrown, generic evil in the heart of man. Just like Jesus pointed to in, in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful. It is deceitful above all things. So when we look at this idea in our hearts, guys, of Judas and Mary in our hearts. I have to ask myself, when I, when I consider this, okay, do I believe in the universality of sin? Yeah, I, I believe in the universality of sin. Then I want to say, what's going on? What is, my, what is my motive? Why do I follow Jesus? Why do I consider myself to be a Christian? If the only reason I believe is because God persistently and patiently over the years did what I thought he ought to do. If he only did the things I thought he should do. I need to look and see if that's what my relationship is all about. Because the reality is, the only reason you and I are saved is because the hound of heaven chased us down. It's because God came after us. It wasn't us going after him. I don't care what it felt like. Man, before we knew he was there, he was on our trail already. And he didn't give up. And he kept intervening and he kept pushing and he kept coming. And the only reason I believe in him is because of the mystery of his grace. And somehow he makes me better. So I don't have anything to brag about, right? Or set myself apart from somebody else. I just have to know. There but by the grace of God goes me. What if you weren't born here? What if you were born in Syria? What if your whole family was Islamic? What if all the kids in the neighborhood you played with were in ISIS? But by the grace of God, you're here. It wasn't because of something you did. It wasn't because of something that was special or, or better about you than they was God's purpose, God's grace poured out before us. Man, when, when, I, when I consider it, I, I want to also not only think about the universality of sin, but I want to think about the depth. Sometimes I think we, we lose the depth of our sin. We think it's just on the skin. It goes, it goes a little deeper. It goes a little deeper than that. 
So every disciple looks in their heart. It says in verse 20, He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish, and the Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written about him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And the depth of sin. What he's saying is, one of you serves me as long as it benefits you. And right now, it doesn't benefit you anymore, so you're out. When we look at our hearts, is that where, what our hearts is? As long as what God's doing benefits me, then I'm in. But as soon as this whole Christian thing just doesn't quite line up, and all the things, all my plans, all my pursuits aren't, aren't happening, am I out? Am I just serving Him for what He does for me? Am I just serving Him so He'll heal me of my illness? Am I just serving Him so He'll fix my marriage? Am I just serving Him so He'll do whatever it is that I think I need Him to do for me? Because that's the heart of Judas. The heart of Mary just served Him because she loved Him. She poured out extravagantly upon Him just because... She loved him. Which way is your heart lean? Which way is your heart bend? You see, we still find ourselves sometimes struggling with the concept of religion. Walking in religion and, and not really according to the gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore God ought to Grace says, I'm accepted through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By sheer grace. So I owe Him everything. Religion says, I obey, so God owes me. The gospel says, Jesus' grace was poured out on me, so I owe Him. Mary or Judas. Where are we at? Jesus, through the prophet Jeremiah, says, I, the Lord, test the heart. I look at the heart. Are we considering which heart we have, where our heart is, what our heart is about? Sometimes we think, you know, if I just live a good enough life, then God will bless me. In other words, I'm using God, and He owes me. But then there's another part of us that understands what He does and responds to the beauty of it. Not the utility of Christ, but the beauty of Christ. Not what He can do for us, but just that He's beautiful for what He's done for us already. What He accomplished for us in the cross. So we see the, the call Jesus makes. One of you will betray me. And, and I think the test is looking into our hearts and see, yes, do we understand the universality of sin? I could be Judas. I could have been Judas. Wasn't something more broken in him than me. Do we understand the depth of the sin, the motivation? Because for Judas, it was about using Christ to gain something he wanted. But for Mary, it was for loving Christ, for what he was to her already. 
Do we understand the universality and the depth of sin? But it doesn't just leave us there. Because there's a way out of it all. Repentance. Not pretending. Not pretending it's not in me. Not pretending I don't have it. Not pretending that it's not like me. You know, I, I could never do something like that. I, I would never do something. I can't believe anybody could ever do something like that. When we do that, all you're doing is masking, taking a bunch of tape, duct tape, and taping over your sin, and burying it in a corner in your heart. And you're saying, that brokenness isn't in me. That kind of sinfulness is not in me. That's, that's, and what are you saying when you're doing all that? That you don't need a Savior as bad as that guy does? Man, that, that couple dropped off a baby six months old and went to die. And entered into eternity without Christ. And will spend forever separated from God. If that don't break your heart, then you need to get some of that duct tape off it. And take a look inside of it. And stand before our Creator God and do what Peter learned to do at the end of his betrayal. Repent. Repent. And let God work and mold and make us and develop us into what it is that God wants us to be. Because right here in this section, a small section of scripture, Jesus extends his hand for the last time to Judas. For the last time he's saying, Judas, man, I know what you're going to do. I know you're going to do it. You've already said it in your heart. In fact, the gospel tells us right after this, Satan enters into his heart. Prior to that, though, the Bible tells that Satan gave him the desire. It doesn't mean that Satan controlled him. Satan can't put something in his heart that's not already there. He goes, Satan gets in him, he goes, does the betrayal, he comes back. But I know Satan's not in him at the end. At the end when he despairs. That's really when the fall of Judas is so bad because he rejects his Savior. And he runs to suicide. Which doesn't help. And it doesn't save. But meanwhile, Jesus is looking at him right now. He doesn't want to shatter Judas so he doesn't call him out. He wants to melt him. He doesn't want to condemn Judas. He wants to convict him. If he hadn't said to Judas, I see you. I see you. I know your heart. There'd be no chance for repentance. I can tell you that if he can offer this to Judas at this moment, then he can offer it to anybody at any time. And if he can offer it to Judas at this moment, I think he wants me to learn to do the same. I'm still angry. I'm still irritated. But people are still perishing. And we know one day Jesus is coming back. One day 
Jesus is going to set things right. And as long as this is not that day, then it doesn't matter what you've done, what's happened in your life, what you thought about, what you, what you, whatever's happened, whatever's happened to you or for you or by you or through you. He offers it to us right now. And we don't want to respond the way Judas did. We want to respond like Mary did. We want to pour that life out for him. We want to do something. We want to take, seize the opportunity that God gives us. Just to try to nail some of these ideas down in our head. I just went, I got a little video that I'm going to have Wendy hit. It has sound, so have the sound on. That kind of gives us all of these things we talked about through the eyes of Judas. I was once asked if you could take a look into the life and mind of one person from the past, who would it be? Instantly, my brain cracked open its spine and and pages worth of influential people ran through my head like Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King, even a John Calvin, Jeffrey Dahmer, Augustine. But strangely, my thoughts became obsessed with the idea of being invited into the heart of someone we all know as Judas. A man beckoned by the Son of God to follow him. Follow him like Twitter was reality. Paralyze his eyes on the heels of a God who had placed himself on the inside of a woman's stomach that he intricately created himself eternities before birth even existed. Judas walked with Jesus. I picture him Jewish. Cold colored hair, dark brown eyes, twinkling with deceit heart beating with wonder towards this Christ whose features were just like his could this man really be God is what I'm sure plagued this dark and eclipsed mind he watched him watched Mary's 30 something year old son shovel the remains of rocks and death into his hands called dirt bring forth spit from the same mouth that lit every star in the galaxy he mixed them both painted them into the pupils of a man whose eyes were only acquainted with the canvas of black blind from birth God was the first thing that man ever saw as last name is scary, first name Judas stood front row center to a concert of God's glory. I wonder if he saw himself in the scenario before him. Maybe not, but he continued to watch as Christ walk towards the cave of a man who had been dead for almost a week with a heart that had not beat for four whole days. Ears that will only work at the sound of something greater than death. Lazarus, come out, Jesus yelled with the authority of the Alpha and Omega branded to his breath. A fraternity of power coming forth from the same voice that spoke everything into existence where nothing that existed, just him, Judas, saw a corpse come to life. A dead heart beat to the soundtrack of a resurrection, the metaphor for why Jesus came right in front of his eyes. If I could watch him think, I don't think he saw just yet, yet he watched. As a year's salary of oil was worshipped onto the Son of Man's feet, Mary used her hair like a wash rag to wipe the foot of her Lord. And I wonder if Judas was confused. 
confused at why this woman would give up so much just for Jesus. Could it be that her reverence was a sign that she might have seen this Nazarene called Christ for what he was worth possibly, but he kept watching. He watched as the guards grabbed the man he'd identified with a kiss to prepare him for death that the world deserved unaware of the resurrection that only the elect would share in. If I could, I would assume that he looked into his palms. Followed his fingerprints into the 30 pieces of silver laying dead in his hands with joy. Tap dancing in the cemetery of his soul. Ghosts of destruction rising up in his bones. Those dark brown eyes staring at the receipt for what he just gave up. And I bet he didn't even see the reality of what he thought God was worth. Nothing. See, betrayal is easy when you kiss God goodbye in a heart that is only loyal to itself. As Jesus was being led away into the cup of God's wrath, Judas crawled his head inside of a noose and the truth is I know he was sorry his conscience made him conscious of the fact he had betrayed an innocent man but the blindness in his mind didn't drive the navigation in his eyes to find that same man that was able to forgive him of all of his sins so he made suicide his savior as I watched the rope hug his throat I just wish I could have let him ball my eyes so that he could finally see see that he was the blind man and needed the hands of Jesus to rapture the scales from his brown eyes like braille praise danced on God's fingertips. Let him rip my mind so that he could have understood that he was a Lazarus by nature, dead or corpse with breath, sleep in a cave of sin, desperate for life. He walked with the one person who could save him from the pitch black of night underneath his eyelids for three whole years. But try, try asking a blind man to lift his eyes toward the sky and tell you the color of the sun. He can't see. He'll never understand his need for light, so darkness will be all that he knows. As I watched the body of Judas lay dangling dead from the tree, reminiscent of the piece of fruit that birthed this inherent blindness in his genes, I actually saw myself hanging. For you now, God, as we uh, just consider the things that we discuss as we look on the pages of Scripture, God, I pray, Lord, that we recognize that nobody ever goes into eternity without Christ because they spent too much time considering their heart and where they were. God, you call us to a life of repentance. A life that says, I'd rather live out seeking forgiveness from the God who I offend daily than lay out a list of needs and requirements. To call upon the God that I need to move in my heart. Because my heart is broken. My heart is broken for those 
who died and went into eternity in an act of terror and didn't have an opportunity. Maybe they didn't have a relationship with Christ. My heart breaks for those who went into an eternity without God as a result of what our government calls radical ideology. But it's not radical ideology that drives a man or a woman to do the things that they did. It's sin. It's the same disease that courses in the veins of each and every one of us. God, I pray that we would just not play games with it. Not play games with the life we are living right now. The opportunities we have right now. God, may we not let a moment slip. Because we don't know what crazy plan the devil has. But I got right now. And maybe that person standing across from me in line at Walmart doesn't know you. It's so easy just to say, hey, how you doing? And see where it goes. I think, God, you call us to uh, just get a gut check sometimes and say, Lord, there's so much we can do, but we can't accomplish it as a church who spends all its time Assuming Judas is somewhere else. And he's not inside of me. And I need to deal with him. Not ignore him. I need to let the old man die. So the new man can live. I need to lay him down. So God, I pray as we... Just focus our eyes on you as we close out service as prayer counselors are available. And Lord, if you are just heavy on somebody's heart this morning, I just pray, God, make it right. Deal with our Judas. Let's put him down. We don't have to worry about others. If we put him down, then we can be the men and women God's calling us to be. That he be glorified and he be magnified in the life we live out before you. Is it me, Lord? Your word, I will believe. As I will.